Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. <laughs> laughing at me already. Yeah, because it was just like, a, it was like a howdy, everybody. <sighs> like there was like a, there was a, a little sigh there at the end. Yeah, uh, I'm like, I know. Um, I don't know how you're doing. I... Um, it's weird how on the, on the most recent, I don't think it's the most recent journal. I think it was the most recent like episode episode. I talked about like being emotionally, like having the, having this loners, uh, what's what I'm looking for uh, experience and being like, I've been preparing for this like quarantine all my yeah. life. And I still think as far as that part goes, like the, just not going out and and not seeing people other than my wife. I'm still fine with that, but I have yeah. started to get the uh, just the fear and anxiety of what's going on and how massive it is is starting to to affect me. Like really, really letting it sink in. How many people are? How many Americans are going to die? How many people worldwide are going to die? Is uh, really starting to affect me. I'm uh, I'm having a lot of anxiety around. That I think weirdly evolved. I mean, I already know. Obviously, thousands, tens of thousands of people have have perished all over all over the world. But as of the recording of this right now, we're only twenty four hours removed from the death of Adam Schlesinger. Yeah, uh, the that the really got me. Singer song, and I think because it, it was the first time that someone that I like, not that I knew Adam Schlesinger, but I had yeah. through his art, I had a relationship with him that went back goes back to me being a, a teenager, you know, yeah. or even younger, younger, um, uh, that, um, I, I honestly think that sort of cracks something open to me that love of being like, this isn't really having to admit to myself that this isn't something that's happening on the news or in the abstract, yeah. like it is actually happening to people. And, uh, I'm, I don't know. I'm scared lately. This past, well, few, this, this past day or so. And at the risk of sounding, callous i don't i don't want to at all but um he's also fairly younger you know for for so long we've been we've been this has been characterized and again somewhat understandably so like he's definitely sort of the exception but this has been characterized as something that mostly if not exclusively affects older people not that that makes it any less sad of sure, course yeah uh, yeah um, r.i.p to uh ellis marcellus the yeah. the jazz musician who i found out past week uh, i found out this yeah. morning i think or late last night i can't remember and character actor mark bloom uh passed away as well who was in uh shattered glass he was in crocodile dundee he's been he was he's on that uh show jen was just watching it uh you i think is what it's called with uh, Penn badgley and um he he might be one of those guys that like you know him if you saw him. I have a weird memory for character actors, and so like when I saw that he had passed away, like that really bummed me out. Um, but uh, yeah, it's and and he was a he was a little bit older. I think he was into his seventies. But um, yeah, it's it it's a weird it's a weird and heartbreaking situation. I myself have been holding up mostly okay. Um, 
but like I do have my bad days. And yesterday I had a bad day where I just, yeah. just felt very emotionally numb, which is not a thing I feel very often. Um, I just like Jen, she watched me walk, walk across the room and she's like, are you okay? And I said, what, why? She goes, you look like you're about to start crying. And I was like, I'm sure that's how I look. But if, I, if anything, it's exactly the opposite. I don't feel like I'm about to do anything. Um, uh. And like the, the, the larger impact on every level. I mean, I know that it's very uncouth to talk about the, the economics of all of this um, as opposed to like the loss of life. But the fact that it hits on ev- that this hits on every level, you know, that like people's livelihoods along with like you can like you can make it through it with your health and you still have stuff to deal with, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's just like so many things. This is hitting so many people in so many ways uh, and that it's just going to that there's no real end in sight. You know, like even though L.A. is like locked down for a month, it's like, well, it's going to go longer than a month, obviously. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's going to be extended. So it is just uh, It's funny. You um, you became numb. I did. Uh, um, the thing I did last night, I, most of the way that I've kept my sanity has been through like just not like workouts. Like I am not working out like you are, but I'm exercising. I'm going on walks, yeah. you know, I'm keeping exercise and I'm, I've been eating healthy. And last yeah. night, what I did uh, was I postmates some Popeyes and then <laughs> ate a whole bunch of Oreos, which the fact that we even had Oreos in the house was like, obviously my last grocery run, I was already anticipating this. The fact yeah. that I bought Oreos, which is yeah. not like me to buy sweets at all. But I sort of like, almost like I saw this coming. I was like, I'm going to need some Oreos sometime before I make it to a grocery store again. And so, yeah, I, put, I uh, ate a bunch of fried chicken, uh, green beans and biscuits, and then went to town on a, on a sleeve of Oreos. Yeah, there's definitely, uh, there's what Jen and I refer to as just like, uh, just fuck it. Like the, just the attitude. Um <laughs> And it, it has happened before where like we're both in a bad mood and maybe we're a little bit short of money or something like that. And, uh, but we both are just like, fuck it. We're going out, not merely for a meal, but a nice meal <laughs> that we oh, cannot yeah. afford. And so there is this, there is this feeling like, cause I am trying to eat better. I am exercising. I've lost some weight, which is great. Um, but fuck it is right there at all times. Like, fuck it. I'm ordering a pizza, you know, or whatever it is. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty tough. I'm reminded this is in the TV journal. We do that on the Patreon, but I'm reminded of a, uh, an episode of, um, uh, from earlier this season on better things Mm -hmm. where, um, uh, Pamela Edmond's character is like, hasn't worked in a while and is starting to run out of money and then almost gets a big job and then loses that big job. Mm-hmm. And her bucket is she buys a new car and a snake <laughs> <laughs> or a used car new to her, but yeah, she yeah. buys like an El Camino and a snake. That's her. Like, <laughs> even though she's like losing yeah. out on money, but I, I can kind of, kind of really, I can't relate to being able to afford an El Camino with a job of a hat. Sure. Uh, obviously, Pamela Adlon's money troubles and my money troubles are, are different, but uh, let's get into the movies we watched Indeed. to stave off insanity. Yeah. Um, and I watched a bunch of uh, thanks to Flickr Alley who put out, um, uh, and I keep forgetting Sevalod Podovkin's 
Bolshevik trilogy. Oh, okay. uh, three um, three uh, Soviet silent films um, that uh, are um, like so many Soviet silent films of the era, clearly, you know, propaganda. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but also like so many silent films, Soviet silent films of the era, really good propaganda. They're yeah. really powerful movies. Um, so I'll start with the first one, uh, which is 1926's Mother, which takes place during the 1905 Russian Revolution, which was kind of the um, uh, practice run, I guess, for 1917, in, in a way. Um, for those who don't know, the, uh, the events depicted in Battleship Potemkin uh, are also part of the 1905 mm. revolution, the revolution before the you know October Revolution, 1917, that we... Um, that we all know so well. So, um, but mother, you're going to say that we all know and love. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, uh, you watch enough of these movies. You absolutely will. Um, <laughs> You'll be terrified not to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, and the thing that, uh, you know, so Podovkin is not a name that I knew, uh, unfortunately, but I do now having watched three of these movies and, um, he's in, in many ways, just as skilled at, um, making you feel the way he wants to feel through his editing um one thing that i noticed that's different than you said you see something like battleship potemkin like it has characters in it like there's the guy who's the sort of leads the revolution in the ship but even he like dies halfway through like he's a becomes a sacrifice in a way to the cause and then it's about the people you know either the people yeah. the the naval crew who were who were revolting or the the people of odessa who were being uh mowed down and um but, but Pudovkin's films are tend to be like they tend to have more stand-in like individual characters that this is about who represent something who represent the people so in this case the movie's called mother it's about uh, a woman who um who has a son and a father or a son and a husband who are on opposite sides of things. Her son works at the factory and is part of a general part of a strike. And her husband is one of the sort of goons, if you will, who gets hired by the factory owners and the capitalists or whatever to, mm -hmm. uh, to basically beat the shit out of the, the strikers to scare them and uh, scare them out of striking. And so there's a showdown between the strikers and these, these hired thugs and the father of the boy husband of the mother, um, uh, is killed. And through some other circumstances, the, the boy, the, the son ends up getting sent to a Siberian, uh, work camp and then over the course of like seeing how her son is treated and learning more about the, basically the the mother comes around to her son's side and ends up actually um, participating in a protest slash jailbreak to get her son out of out of, out of the prison um, all of this happens in about 85 minutes uh, and it's super exciting there are there are great like uh, I hesitate to say in something that's so like such a political movie. It's, uh, I mean, I don't mean all movies are political. I mean, like a movie about politics. Right. It's, it's also an action movie in a lot of ways. Um, uh, you know, which is also true of, of Potemkin. Um, and, uh, there, 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 like, there, like I mentioned, there's a, there's a prison break type sequence that feels like the precursor to a lot of prison break movies. There's a, um, the the sequence where the strikers 
leave the factory and are confronted by the hired goons or whatever um, also feels like a precursor to the like American Western like showdown <laughs> sequence. Like it's yeah. um, uh, it's it's really skillfully skillfully done and feels like a more influential film than uh, uh, than I would have thought for some for a movie I hadn't really heard of, but. It pales in comparison. Not really. It's still very good. But the best of the trilogy is the second one, which is the end of St. Petersburg. This was made in 1927 to commemorate the 10-year anniversary of the October Revolution that we all know and love. And <laughs> um, and that's what this one is about. It also, But once again, this one, uh, I think, has a more expand, expansive type of things like the people versus the capitalists. Um uh, but there still is a uh, a main character who's uh, uh, basically a young man who in who's desperate for work, and in his desperation, he sort of inadvertently leads to another uh, like labor organizer or labor leader being jailed, um, and then uh, this guy uh, ends up getting arrested himself and gets sort of uh what's the word they there's a there's a name for when you are in lieu of jail time you're you join the army there's a there's a name for what that uh is but he gets pressured into joining the army he goes off and fights world war one so there's world war one sequences um and then he comes back just in time for him and his fellow soldiers to assist in uh you know killing the czarists <laughs> and um uh, this one's super exciting, super filled with, with, with action and tension. And um, yeah, that, that, that moment, you know, when you've got all the soldiers and you've got the leader of the ostensible leader of the soldiers basically saying like, you know, uh, shoot the traitors or whatever, but the soldiers know who the real traitors are. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's, <laughs> um, but there's also uh Something I was thinking about, uh, you know, we, you talked about Tether the, um, the economic impact of uh, of our quarantines and and the and the coronavirus is is doing, and it. I was thinking about how you'd seen some, uh, not fringy uh, pundits basically make this argument that for the good of the economy some people should start returning to work and i found that i found that disturbing to begin with um and then i watched this movie that literally has people die like the first off during the before in the pre-war parts you've got you've got the stock market people actually there's literally a uh, an inner title that says the work day must be longer in the nation's interest. And then like you've got these sequences when people go off to, to war, like you see the stock market falling and mm-hmm. the war starts and all these people are being killed. And Podovkin very unsubtly like crosses like dead Russian people. And then you see the stock market numbers going up um, like, and, and like, I, I, it was just a weird coincidence because that was like, I, I still think that's heavy handed, but I would have thought that was almost laughably heavy handed if I'd watched this movie two weeks ago, but yeah. watching it like this same week or a week after um, reading people making these, these arguments that are so um, callous about human life in the face of, uh, you know, the, the market or, or, or whatever. Right. Um, 
uh, it really, really stuck out to me. So um, we'll get to the third one uh, in a little bit, but those are the first two of the Bolshevik trilogy. What did you watch? Well, just for the record, I don't want to give the impression that I'm somebody that says everyone should go back to work right now. No, you weren't talking about that at all. You, okay. No, you weren't talking about the stock market. You were talking about individuals yes. losing losing their livelihoods. No, you're. Yeah. I'm. Okay. I was on your side. Okay, all right. I'm just making sure that because uh, that's the thing is like, don't get me wrong. I do think that economic impact of anything is very important, and to bring that up is not inherently callous. Um, I think, but, but the fact that that, I, I don't know, the fact that, that, that people should go back and risk their very lives comes up first and seems more palatable than anyone who has over a certain amount of money should just give up. Like if we're talking about sacrifice, sure. isn't it, isn't it more humane to say the people who have a lot of money can give up a small, but significant and helpful amount of it. Wouldn't, wouldn't it make sense for that to come up before people should literally risk their, 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 their well-being? Uh, well, I, I don't know. That, I think that's what galled me is like, if you're going to talk about sacrifice, why do we value lives below capital? Right. And I think that's, to me, the way I look at it is you, ta- you, you deal with the health part first, first and foremost, and then keeping it keeping in with an eye towards when that is done not to be too flippant about it but when that is done and the curve is totally flat and all that it's like well now we have to deal with the economic impact so is there anything that we can be doing now short of sending people into a dangerous situation of course is there anything that can be done now to be that will impact the later thing. Cause there are, there are two stages to this crisis. The first one is the health one. The second one is the economic one. And to me, I don't want to sacrifice one in favor of the other, but simply thinking about the other while dealing with the first, I think is not an inherently wrong thing. And I also don't think they're, they necessarily have to be at odds with another. I think we've, sure. uh, I mean, I'm, you know, maybe I'm reading bias sources, but uh, I try not to do that, but uh, we're all uh, susceptible to that. But um, not me. There, <laughs> there are arguments <laughs> to be made that the, not only with this coronavirus, but going back to, I was reading a, a thing that had a, it had a graph, so I have to believe it. Sure. Um, from the 1980, 1918 flu, flu epidemic that, that basically countries or states who were willing to do the more draconian thing first and take a little bit of a hit up front ended mm-hmm. up faring better in the long run. Oh, undoubtedly. Uh, economically. And, and I think, I mean, um, I, I, you know, California is not, uh, uh, a nation state as our governor sometimes seems to think it is, but it is, um, but I am happy to be a Californian today because, uh, California and, and Ohio, especially like both really did act fast and we'll probably, um, see, um, lower death rates and a faster return to economic well-being than other states but of course we're all all the states are part of the same country so it, it affects all of us right, but uh, yeah. I, I but i do wish you know i fear for my relatives in florida right now who florida just put their shelter in place just put shelter in place in place um, uh, and and um are probably going to have you know they wouldn't cancel spring break they had a lot of being as we saw with yeah. In, in Louisiana, they didn't cancel uh, uh, Mardi Gras. I don't know. You can argue 
whether or not they knew enough to even do so at the time, but you've seen sure. a, there's a clear correlation. A bunch of people came to Mardi Gras. New Orleans is really uh, feeling the coronavirus thing now. And I think we're going to see it happen in Florida too. And I'm worried because I have fam. I literally have family in Florida. My, uh, yeah. my mom is in Florida right now, actually. Uh, my mom and, and my sister and my brother-in-law and their kids are all uh, hunkered down in Florida um, and stuck there at least through April. Yeah, it's, well, yeah, sorry. It, it's, it's so interesting. Like even in the midst of a movie discussion show, like my mind is all is it hovers at like 20% on the situation that often spikes by the way to a hundred percent. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And so like, even as we talk about, about, uh, these Soviet movies, uh, and, and even as, you know, so the movie that I, the first one I'll be, I'll be talking about is of course, Richard Linkletter's before sunset. Um, cause I watched before sunrise last week. Um, and, even as even as we were watching it, or rather after we watched it, we were talking about how at this point instinctively strange it is to watch a movie where people are walking around uh, a city and other people are walking around. Don't get me wrong. I take walks around the block by myself and it's quite empty. Uh, so like the idea of walking is fine, but the but like someone there's a moment where a care where somebody like a jogger like runs past them and is kind of close and my first thought is like is like oh they're not going to be happy about that and then it's like oh no they don't care yeah. <laughs> it was, came out in t- 2004 um but uh but yeah so uh i adore this movie of course oh, good um i thought i might enough people that i trust said that they like this movie more than the first one and more than the third one and I will say I'm really interested. I I'm so sad that I didn't watch before sunrise when I was that age, you know, because I'm watching before sunset. Mm. I'm now a few years older than these characters, but in kind of a similar stage of life, I'm in my thirties. They're in their thirties. They're now thinking like an adult. They condemn the way they thought when they were younger. Um, the type of conversation they're having is a little bit more focused and less uh, abstract than the first film. And so it really is a, a fascinating portrait of not merely growing up, they've grown up, they are now there and trying to discuss what marriage is, what love is. And one thing that I find really interesting is the evolution of the Celine character that, she has hardened a bit and become more focused. And when you, when I watch the first film, it feels a lot more like Ethan Hawke's movie that she is. It's, it's a two hander for sure, but I think it's more from his perspective or at the very least he talks a lot more and she's a little bit more passive and that has maybe not flipped, but she's much more assertive. Uh, and maybe it's as she's gotten older, uh, and she has been in enough relationships that have not gone well for her that she started to realize I need to say what I, what my needs are, because if I don't, I'm not going to assume that the other person will ask. Uh, and so I feel like she's much more of an active participant in the conversation, uh, in this film. And it's, and of course that is very much to the film's benefit because she's extremely charming and adorable and, but also very brilliant and, and sad. There's also a, a layer of sadness underneath, uh, 
as there always will be when you have characters reflecting on who they used to be and who they are and who they might be. And so I, I, as a film that we now realize is a, is a transition between two and between one and three, as these characters are in this place where they're assessing the choices they have made and the ones that they're going to make. um, I I just find there to, there's so much more dramatic potential in that. And uh, I found myself getting emotional as I was watching it, even if the characters themselves were not. Um, And it just really resonated with me, maybe because that's where I am in my life. You know, once Jen and I uh, adopt a child and maybe we're in our forties, maybe I'll watch before midnight and that will resonate with me. I don't know. Um, I will, I'll watch before midnight next week, but I was going to ask if you had watched it yet, Um, yet. because it's interesting. I haven't done what you're doing. Watch them all in close succession Mm -hmm. succession. Um, I also haven't watched HBO succession, Um, but um, it's basically uh, the same. Don't worry about it the thing you were talking about, about her comparative passivity in the first movie is something that is indirectly commented on by her in before midnight. Oh, not about her specifically, but there's conversation before midnight, midnight about the ways that women, especially young women tend to sort of let men have their way or let men have a little more rope a little bit um, because it's easier to deal with them if you assuage their egos a little bit. Um, And so uh, uh, that's interesting. I I hadn't thought about that because they're not in that scene in before midnight, they're not talking about the events of before sunrise. So I hadn't thought about it in that, in that way, but that's, uh, that's interesting. Yeah, I definitely, I think that is, that is true regardless of culture. I mean, she's French, he's American, but this idea, and she even says it in the first film, like the, that, that thing that we've heard a lot since then, the idea of, of a, of a man telling a woman, even if he, even if they're strangers, uh, telling her like, like, Oh, you should smile or whatever it is. Um, and that, that bothers her. Uh, she says that in the first film, but here, um, and, and, and she does just let Ethan Hawke talk a lot more in the first film here. It's not that she necessarily interrupts him, but she is more apt to um, go off on her own monologues as opposed to sort of responding to his. And so she's, she clearly, again, I, it could be a, a function of growing up or, you know, becoming an adult, or it could be a function of uh, a cultural change uh, for, for women. I'm not sure, but, or maybe all of the above probably. Um, And just, and then the specifics of her character. Uh, And that's the other thing is that it it would be so easy for both of these characters to just become symbols, become representations of their gender, their nationality, whatever you want to say. But it, it is and it isn't. Uh, they are very specific and their relationship is very specific. And yeah, I really, boy, I really loved this movie. Um, and How about that ending too? One of my favorite endings of any movie ever. So great uh, for a few reasons. And I'm reluctant to spoil it, but there's a line where... Well, there's a, it's a, it ends on a two line exchange. She says, you're going to miss your plane or miss your flight. And he says, I know. And what's interesting is that sentiment has been said a few times up to this point. And each time it's meant as a warning. And here it could be seen as that, but it's meant more as just a plain fact. 
<laughs> you are missing that plane and we both yeah. know and we both know why it's a plane fact it's uh, it's a fact about that plane <laughs> um Although, and I don't want to, I, I don't wish want to I could sp- hang up on you right now. <laughs> I don't want to spoil things for people who haven't seen it, but I do, I haven't seen before sunrise since I, uh, had been married and I do wonder, um, if my feelings about that scene might be, uh, might be a little more complicated now that I'm a married person. Um, because one of the people in the scene is married and the other one isn't. Yeah. Uh, and, and that, uh, is a, uh, a wrinkle. Um, yeah. And it's, and at the same time, I do think, I don't want to say that it's easy, but the fact that he is unhappily married Mm, um, makes everything go down a little smoother. But imagine if he was actually perfectly content, but you know, contentment as opposed to passion. And when, and when you've been married for a while, like the initial passion dies down and then you get like flare flares of passion as opposed to a contentment that sometimes borders on complacency. Um, and what, and, and simple yet still kind of intangible affection that you can have for someone that you're very familiar with and that you love. Um, that is something that I definitely have come to prefer, but there is always that idea. It's like that little flare up of, Oh, I've met somebody I've, I've met this other person I find very attractive. And in their case, this was like the grace, great lost romance of their lives. And so I do think it would have been a more interesting, although maybe considerably less romantic. Uh, <laughs> although maybe for some, it would be more romantic if he was actually, if it was a, a, a brief encounter situation where mm. she is perfectly, he is perfectly happy with his wife, but this is the woman that kind of inspired an initial passion. Um, Mm -hmm. So the fact that he's unhappily married, I think is meant to cushion that blow a little bit um, and, and keep the situation from being too complicated. And I wouldn't say that's a cop out, but it does, it does make me, I think I meant more like being a married person. I might be more uh, inclined or tempted to at least partially identify with his unseen wife. Oh, I always do. Uh, And in any, in any situation, uh, whether it be a a wife or a husband, um, I'm always thinking it's like, yeah, their big crime is that you have, you happen to know them too well. (laughs) Sorry. You know, because I always picture myself in that situation. It's like, I, it's like, I am not the person that someone else falls for. I'm the person (laughs) that the person I, that, that someone is on is, has the misfortune to have married before they meet the person they really fall for uh all right well let's move on to a movie that i think i really really enjoyed it's the one non-russian movie on my list today weirdly Mm -hmm. coincidentally coincidentally um and i think might have benefited a little bit from my lowered expectations but tyler i had such a blast with kathy yan's birds of prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one harley quinn yes um I, I forget. I think, did they change the? Were they going to change the title for that? Um, I think it, I heard that they were going to call it Harley Quinn um, uh, when it didn't do super great at the box. I don't office. know. The, the, I, I watched it on the um, the uh, on Amazon, you know, okay. uh, and it was still called that whole thing. Okay. Um, I might have just been just said Birds of Prey, but the on screen title still was okay. Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Um, so a couple things. I think I still, despite Aquaman, which I loved, I still think that the DC movies are all going to be like 
self-consciously cool or self-consciously dark. Sure. So I kind of thought that might happen. And B, I don't know, maybe I wasn't paying attention, but I just assumed this movie was PG-13. Even like as the movie started, I assumed it was PG-13. And then you see a hyena chewing a guy's severed leg. And I was like, what? (laughs) Um, And uh, you've got casual drug and alcohol use. Uh, You've got like, there's, there's so much just going for broke uh, out there, out there stuff. There's not like, uh, there's not, I don't think, I mean, Harley Quinn is the, the hero of the, of the story, but I think the movie doesn't forget that she's a villain. And Mm -hmm. I think the R rating allowed them to, to do that. She still um, can be uh, self-centered or cruel or, you know, uh, callous or, or violent. Um, She's not like a good person. She's a, like in more of an anti-hero than I was uh, expecting. And honestly, I I think um, what I liked about it is that it just pinballs from one thing to the next and it's just like every scene it's like okay let's have fun with this now and then it moves on Mm -hmm. to the next thing it's not i don't think it's that great a story um uh you saw it right i did uh yeah i uh and i i i know you talked about the movie journal i feel like you liked it more than you didn't right is that right I'm trying to remember. Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, there's a lot I didn't care for about it. And I think it being disjointed was part of it. Um, I, I understand that. And I which saw makes someone, sense given the character in a way. Uh, yeah. And I saw someone else on uh, some review that I read um, compared it to like a big budget, uh, uh, like a Hollywood big budget version of a Takashi Miike film. And then it's just like super indulgent at times, super gory. Mm-hmm. Um, and sadistic, you know, you've got, uh, Boy. uh, what's his name? The doctor from lost gets his fucking face peeled off. He sure um, does. Uh, like stuff that I did not, I did not, uh, see all of that coming. I really liked Ewan McGregor's performance a lot, especially yeah. when he's talking about the, uh, the like boiled shrunken heads that he has like on display is like he's like this is someone a thousand years ago and now it's just decoration in my living room Ooh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah um uh, i so i i really just had a a blast uh moment to moment and i really think like I, i don't know maybe it's just because i'm so Sick, uh, I'm so sick of every movie being PG-13 that the yeah. the stuff about this that was R-rated, and I don't just mean that they say fuck a lot, which they do, or even the gore, which there was more of, but I mean things like, there's a part where I think my favorite action sequence in the movie is the big face-off between her and the entire biker gang in the police evidence uh, room. And there's a part where she's hiding behind a pallet of cocaine. Yeah. And the guys are shooting at her. And so there's cocaine in the air. And so she like inhales and like, like Popeye <laughs> yeah. taking his spinach is like suddenly like, Oh, I can kill all these guys. And that was yeah. so like, there there's, that's, that's morally irresponsible in a way that I'm like, that's right for what I wanted out of this character and this kind yeah. of movie. And that's a good use of an R rating. You know, it's not just, um, the it's not just using an R rating to have them say fuck more than three more than two or three times. It it, it uh, it's actually like uh, going for it and being a bit more more gray than I think it 
could have been otherwise. Yeah, it certainly doesn't feel like a generic superhero movie that they're like, okay, well, we'll just take this template and just add some stuff. Like it does feel like it's doing its own thing. There, there are things that I didn't really care for. I actually didn't really like Harley that much as a character. Mm-hmm. I think the performance is fine, maybe a little bit one note, um, but it just felt like, it's like, all right, we have a situation, cut to Harley. She says something that seems not correct for the situation and let's keep going. Like it just, it definitely fell into a certain formula as far as her character is concerned. I actually liked a lot of, I, I thought Rosie Perez was great. Yeah. Um, I liked what they did with her. I really enjoyed Huntress, specifically the idea yeah. that she is undeniably badass, but she's having, but she's, she's at her most badass when she's trying not to be, because when she does try to be, she really doesn't pull it off. I love little, little flourishes like that really work. And, for me. and that's a great, it's, it's the thing you're talking about with Huntress is a great uh, sort of subversion of what we come to expect from these comedies where like someone's weird in so many like mainstream comedies, you've got someone's weird and the comedy is our characters like reacting to like, Oh, that person's weird, you know, yeah. or like being that ironic, like here, the joke is that everyone thinks she's super cool, yeah. but she, like, she's like self-conscious and like shy and doesn't yeah. know how to like talk or, but like everyone thinks she's super cool when she actually does anything. And I thought that was very cool yeah. and, and funny. I enjoyed um, her performance a lot too. Yeah. Uh, and I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Oh, well, this is a spoiler, but for those who know it, they'll know uh, what I'm talking about. The biggest like laugh out loud moment in the movie for me is Ewan McGregor's last few seconds on screen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, that happened in such a way that is the, the chain of events that uh, uh, I didn't quite see it coming. And it's a, another very gory physical gag. Um that I really liked the movie had stuff like that. And you know, it's, I, I've been thinking about that sequence because oddly enough, it, I can't go into, I also can't go into detail for spoiler purposes, but um, the way a certain character meets their demise is something that I find particularly disturbing uh, and always have. I know what you're talking about, but like, even in this movie, like that's like the I nature know, of the movie is the like, stuff that okay. disturbs the stuff that disturbs me tends to disturb me regardless of genre. I don't know why uh, it just touches on something, but uh, I understand, of course, objectively why it's funny and why it's triumphant. And I actually really like that as a climax. It, it's pretty muted when you think about it, like as as a final showdown. Mm-hmm. Um it's not, it comes after this big moment, but significantly enough, it, there's a significant amount of time in between that's like, oh, this is the, this is the final moment. And it's actually, it doesn't feel abrupt. It doesn't feel uh, uh, interrupted or anything like that. It's, it's fully realized and it's, and it's pretty small when you think about it, but it works really well for the kind of movie um, that this is. And yeah, it's a movie I didn't really like when I, I didn't like it that much when I first saw it. But since then, when I think about it, uh, a lot of the stuff that I do like sticks out more than the stuff I didn't. Um, Um, And to me, I I like the action scene. Yeah. Uh, which action sequence? The one, the really psychedelic one that happens inside the oh, fun house. I did that enjoy that a cool. lot. Oh, yeah. I thought you, oh, that one. I thought you meant the one she heard like Terminator style right on the police station where she's shooting glitter bombs. Cause that was, well, super there's cool that, too. there's that too. Yeah. I liked that. Uh, speaking of the police, speaking of Rosie Perez, I would say if the, if you and McGregor's last scene with my last was my, my biggest 
laugh out loud moment, my first laugh out loud moment, and it's so stupid. But Rosie Perez's character, she gets like garbage dumped on her, so she has to change into clothes that they have in the evidence locker. And so it just cuts to her like getting chewed out by her captain and wearing a shirt that says, I shaved my balls for this. (laughs) Laugh so hard then. Because it's the kind of thing it's like, yeah, I believe a criminal would, somebody would have gotten arrested wearing that shirt. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, and then to really change gears to close out the Bolshevik trilogy, I watched 1928's storm over Asia, which is, um, let me, uh, of the two, let me give you the runtime. So mother is like 87 minutes in the St. Petersburg. 73 minutes storm over asia 131 minutes so nearly a full hour long than end of uh st petersburg and it's my probably my least favorite of the three because uh, it does kind of drag uh in places in this in this case it's the story of a mongolian uh trader who gets sort of uh ripped off and bankrupted by a, a greedy unscrupulous uh you know a british capitalist trader mm-hmm. type of guy um and so ends up joining the Soviet partisans who were fighting against the British army. And then he gets captured and the British find out that he's, he might be a direct descendant of uh, Genghis Khan. So then they turn him into like, a, they try to turn him into like a symbol, you know, uh, um, and try to like parade him around. And of course he's not having it because he's a, a, a revolutionary. And so eventually he he fights back but um i I find the movie more in some ways it's more complex and more interesting than the other two i think because there's more room in the movie you've got like you're it's still pretty it's still propaganda so it's still pretty clear who's right and who's wrong but there is some room for there to be like there are british soldiers who show some sympathy like like some shades of characters of moral complexity that you didn't get in the other uh, movies. You've also got, I think, more, a more complex um, discussion about race and racism. Um, oh, interesting. Uh, I mean, there's, I think, there's an art. There's the argument to be made that the Soviets saying, uh, "No, we respect the these Asian people," is in a way just as othering as the way that the uh, British uh, don't care for their traditions. You know, right. Um, that's a, that's a fine line you walk whenever, I don't know, whenever like someone from a more, uh, established or more, you know, militarily powerful or financially powerful country comes into a place like China and says, look at all these traditions, look at these masks and the dances and the music and stuff. There is, there's a little bit that's patronizing about that. Um, but I'd still think that, um, the way that the movie seems to specifically call out the British for being not just capitalists, but also racists uh, yeah. is uh, something you didn't see in the other two movies. Cause it was just all uh, Russians uh, yeah. <laughs> the entire time. Um, so there's a lot of interesting stuff that's going on, um, but it does, it does drag. There's a, you know, the long, the long section between, uh, between the, like the initial thing where the, Trader gets fucked over um and the uh uh the final like when he finally like grabs a sword and starts killing some fucking uh uh, uh british assholes um is it's a, there's a lot going on there but there's some still some cool stuff um once it does once it, you do get to the climax there's a there's a part when he finally like he's got his sword he's like 
chop down this balcony. Like the entire like balcony is falling down behind him and he stands with the sword and he yells down with thieves. Um, and, but instead of just in like him yelling and then just an intertitle, Pudovkin does this thing where it's almost like frame by frame switching back and forth between them. So it almost becomes down with thieves almost becomes like superimposed over the image oh, of this guy holding the sword. It's, uh, it's very cool. Um, and then once he like has gathered the other partisans and the other uh, uh, Chinese against him and they're like, uh, or with him and they're, and they're riding off to fight this, this battle. Uh, Pudovkin does like, seems to, he positions it. He he films it in a way that it's like it's not just the will of these people. The revolution. The revolution yeah. is like an act of nature. <laughs> like right. It's like they're not just writing in. It feels like they're bringing the wind with yeah. them. It's a really cool sequence. So yeah, the movie has a lot of interesting stuff in it and definitely a really badass ending. Uh, but it's the least of the three. But still, if you, I mean, I I know I feel like a shill when companies like flick rally they send me these blu-rays for me to review mm-hmm. and hopefully for me to convince people to buy them and this is one where i this this bolshevik trilogy uh blu-ray is one where i have no reservations about saying you should buy this it uh it's it's called the bolshevik trilogy but it had one of the special features is a whole other movie uh just it's uh uh, uh which i haven't watched yet but Pinovkin's first movie uh which is it's a special feature because it's not one of the bolshevik trilogy right. it's a movie about chess actually nice um, uh but I, I haven't watched that yet. And there's a bunch of other special features. So definitely check that out. Um, and then, uh, all right, back to you. Unless you have anything to say about Storm Over Asia. It's, I, I just, I have this image of like uh, Potovkin, like explaining this sequence. It's like, he goes, and it's like, it's not merely the people's will. It's the will of God. And then like, someone's like, careful. Yeah. You be careful <laughs> with that talk. He goes, I meant nature. I meant nature. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so, okay. I, started watching a movie late enough at night that I, it it was a foreign language film. And so it's like, okay, I'm going to have to read subtitles, not the end of the world. Uh, But then I realized it, the movie was longer than I thought. And it was later than I thought. So I'm like, Oh shoot. So like I got 20 minutes into it and I'm like, I'm going to, I love this, but I'm going to have to return to it. So I'll probably talk about this next week. Uh, So instead (laughs) I saw what was on old HBO go and I decided to watch a movie that by the way was infinitely not longer, but felt longer. Oh, it no. definitely was like, Oh, I made the bat, the wrong call here. Um, and it's a movie I was looking forward to at the time. It is Lenny Abramson's the little stranger. Oh, I loved it. I take it. You didn't. I did not. I it, visually it's gorgeous, of course. Um, and I like a lot of those performances, but and as you know, I like a good meditative movie, David. Uh-huh. Um, and I like slow burn horror. Um, but I think the film is, it's really tough. Like when you, when you, um, when you sort of hinge the emotional core of the movie on a character who is pretty cold and, or at the very least kind of self censoring in his emotions uh it's like oh boy okay this that doesn't that that doesn't kill a movie for me but it definitely it distances me from it which again that doesn't necessarily bother me either but it's all of these things i think it's i think there's a difference between languid and lethargic 
And I feel like this, I feel like the movie aims at languid, which I like, but I think it winds up being there's so, the burn is so slow that I think the, whatever flame is there eventually goes out. By the time we get to the end, I'm a little bit more invested, uh, especially from a thematic standpoint. Um, but overall, I just, I had a hard time being really engaged with it. And I really wanted to be, I was excited for this movie. And then when I saw that it was, and I hate to say it, I kind of forgot that it existed. Um, I think a lot, a lot of people did. It didn't get. Yeah. Uh, and then when I saw that it was available, I'm like, I'm watching this. I'm excited. And despite it, I like that whole cast and I love the visuals. It's just all of these elements. And I immediately, uh, I downloaded the, uh, the not the original novel because like i'll bet oh, okay. this is amazing as a book um but it just seems it just seems so I, I was reading reviews of it and some of them i think were maybe a little bit less charitable than i'm being um like but somebody used the word inert that the film just feels inert and it's like okay that i i feel like that word does apply like you know i'm somebody who who loves Werkmeister harmonies and mm -hmm. you know these are movies that do not move quickly uh but somehow the little stranger there there needs to be some kind of momentum and it felt like there wasn't and then when there were certain payoffs i didn't necessarily require that that more of it be explained i don't care if something is explained especially in a movie like this but it just felt like i don't know it just felt like there was that it lacked a certain level of passion even when it's starting to pay off its its themes so i didn't i didn't necessarily hate it but i was really bummed like i was in the same way like you your expectations were low for bird of Pre birds of prey uh -huh. my my expectations were pretty high for the little stranger because i liked room and and i liked so much about the movie that i wound up being disappointed yeah it's a weird uh it definitely is a weird follow-up to room it doesn't uh, yeah. it often doesn't feel like the same kind of movie because uh, I think room like is so lets you into to Brie Larson's character's head and in little stranger, there's, there's not that much to yeah. <laughs> like his, uh, his desires are pretty superficial. I think in a lot of ways, yes. like he grew up in the shadow of this mansion or whatever. And all he's wanted his whole life is to, get in there and yeah. be a part of that. Um, and maybe I'm just fascinated by stories of stories like that, like Gatsby, you know, people who sure. are on the outside of the, the high life and think they can get in, but uh, yeah. usually get chewed up by it. Uh, Gossip yeah. girl tended to do this two or three times a season. Uh, they have some <laughs> like guest arc where it's like someone trying to worm their way into the upper East side and then they get like chewed up and spit out. Uh, sure. and maybe that's why I watched the show for five years, six years, however long it was on. Anyway, um yeah that's too bad uh, i i liked it um it has it does it's not it's i don't hesitate at all to call it a horror movie even though it's not very scary other than right. i think there's one part that i think uh with the like the rattling like window yeah. Thing, yeah. that part is pretty scary um but there's things that are just horrific like uh like the dog a, a dog attacking a little girl yeah. or that are like i mean i this is a, mi a minor spoiler but if you're someone who is reticent to watch a movie in which the dog dies the dog dies and it's incredibly sad it is very sad yes very very sad in this movie like that's uh that that's a a big i'd call that a trigger warning if you're if you are triggered by 
yeah. uh, by by animals uh, dying in movies. All right. Um, and then finally for me, weird, this is just a coincidence that I happened to watch another Russian movie, but this one, not a, a silent film. Uh, this is one is, that is coming out, I think it might've just come out Tuesday uh, from the Criterion Collection and it's uh, 1957's The Cranes Are Flying, mm. uh, which I... Um, should have called up the name of the director of this movie, but I can do that right now. The director is Mikhail Kolodizov, Um and The Cranes Are Flying is a... Uh, a uh, I, I guess, yeah, it's a love story. It's about two young people who are in love, and then World War II breaks out, and the, the young man volunteers to go serve Mother Russia. Um... And then we get uh, we get some of his uh, uh, journey um, in the war, but mostly we stay at home with the woman who was left behind. Who um, things she's not the one at war, but things don't go well for her either. But she never stops sort of like holding a torch for her uh, for her boyfriend that she eventually like stops hearing from, um, which doesn't i think and i think this is the thing that's so fascinating about the movie the movie is so heartfelt so deeply emotional um so towering i think uh in its like visually its visual imagination of what how uh, what being in love makes characters feel like you know like being you know uh moscow a sparsely populated city but when they're together it's often just them Mm-hmm. You know, despite that you've got these huge like uh, boulevards and, and and monuments and 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 bridges and all these things, but it's like it's just them and they're in control of their world and they're together. Um, and yet, so much of the what the woman uh, the character goes through, her name is Veronica. Um, so much of what Veronica goes through, or, or her character choices, are based on even though she never stops loving this man they're based on pragmatism she things she sort of has to do um to to survive as a person but also the things that she has to do for a country and once again we get to uh the idea that this is uh it's more subtle than the Pradovkin films but it's still a bit of propaganda it is a movie that is ostensibly anti-war <laughs> but it is but under what it's actually saying it's pro sacrifice it's like yes war is hard but if war happens country comes before uh before your personal sure uh, uh desires and and your emotions and that, that there's a nobility in that 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 being that thinking of yourself as so basically the, the the her boyfriend's brother basically bribes somebody to get an exemption for his uh for being a, a student to not have to go uh, off to fight. And he's, there's no question that guy's a piece of shit because he didn't do his duty to his country, yeah. you know? Um, and so movie like is very outspoken about like war is terrible. And, and there's a big speech at the end about like, let's keep the Russian people out of war. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing that's running underneath all of that is like, look, if it happens, you better step up for your country. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yet, despite the fact that it is, that it has a, this propagandistic message, it's still a, just a beautiful, tragic love story um, that is uh, very much up my alley. And that's, uh, yeah, that's the cranes are flying. All right. So I guess that's it for our uh, movie journal. 
How exciting.